Hello and welcome to Digital Surfing with Darren Smith, the podcast that dives into digital leaders' success and failures as they ride the wave of a career in digital business. Introducing our host, Darren Smith. Hi, I'm your host, Darren Smith, and every episode I'll be chatting to a special interviewee on what they've learned on their digital journey. Digital transformation and maturity is key to surviving in business today, and many people have a host of stories to tell about the successes and failures of digital projects they've been involved with. Let's go digital surfing. Today we're speaking to Ben Johnson from Decadata. He's a technologist at heart and he taught himself to code at a really, really young age. In today's episode, we talk about trust and the role that it plays in digital projects. We talk about how empowering teams is really, really important and focusing on the outcome. And then we also touch on security and how important this has become uh, around everybody working remotely after the pandemic. So let's dive straight into it with Ben. Right, Ben. So... I'm going to start out with asking you, is it Dicker Data or Dicker Data? Look, we call it Dicker Data. Um, many of our counterparts around the world, they call it Dicker Data, and it's interchangeable. I think it's, it depends on where you live, how you pronounce it. Down here in Australia, we like to shorten everything. Uh, so I think Dicker Data is how we, how we refer to ourselves here. So it's a tomato, tomato, potato, potato type thing. Absolutely. Spot on. <laughs> so you, you've been with Decadata, I'm going to use data, you've been with Decadata for 14 years. That is rather unusual to stay in one job for that long. What's kept you there? I think it's been a mixture of great culture, uh, great management, uh, and a lot of support, a lot of trust, and a lot of empowerment to achieve an outcome. I don't think there's a lot of companies out there that would have taken uh, the young guy that I was, put me in the positions that I have been over the years through sales, marketing, and IT and product management and given me the rope that I've had to explore getting the outcome the way I believe it could be done best. Uh, and I think that comes down to the, like I said, the management and the, the, um, the support that we have here within the company. It's just phenomenal. And, and I think we're very, very unique in the world. And you think you know, you would do that again, like straight from uni, stick out uh, kind of a long 14 years at a single company or in terms of kind of looking back to your young self, would it be the same type of thing or maybe a bit of variety? Knowledgeable Ben sitting here now, knowing what I know, I wouldn't change a single thing. Uh, when I came out of uni, I did the very typical thing and applied at many consultancies and big banks and looked at their graduate programs and things like that. And there is a certain allure to going to those sort of organisations straight out of uni. They have big structures and they have programs to develop you. But it really is true that there's nothing like developing real world experience. And I was fortunate enough to have landed in the company at a time when we really were at that inflection point where things were really starting to grow quickly. And it was about six years, five, six years after I um, had sort of finished uni and I was making my way through the ranks here that we did a major acquisition. And I was fortunate enough to, again, be given a lot of opportunity through that. And that sort of catapulted my career to the next level. So, so looking back, I, I wouldn't change a single thing and I'd absolutely do it again inside this company. I, I want to delve a little bit more into that acquisition project in a few minutes time. But before we go off um, kind of just the, the introduction and, and Dicker Data itself, in prepping for today, you, you told me that David Dicker himself has been one of your biggest supporters. Like, you know, as the founder, that's quite significant. And how has he kind of 
found that time and managed to be one of your biggest supporters? I think it was a little bit of entrepreneurship on my side early on. Um, one of the perks of the company's always been that we provide uh, free lunch for our staff every day. So when I was the young guy coming out of uni, I thought, you know what, he's here in the office. I'm going to pick up his lunch and take it into him and get to know the guy. And initially, it was a thirst for wanting to get to know the owner of the company that I work for, but he's also a very big petrol head. And so we both share a big passion for cars. And so that sort of naturally became a bonding point for both of us. But over the years, he's championed my cause. He's always been in my corner and he's always been a big supporter of helping me or I guess providing a platform for me to be successful. So basically laying out the way forward for me to achieve everything that I want to in my career. And it's been a mixture. You know, I was very lucky to be hired into the company by a COO at the time who basically tried to lure me out of uni. And then when I said no and thought that I want to finish my degree, actually let me work casually until I finished and then made me the offer I couldn't refuse. And I think Again, it's just really that core values within the company, those family values, that, that support and that platform for success that's just really been a differentiator. And for me, you know, reflecting on it now, it's made me feel like I'm at home. It's made me feel like I come to work every day and I'm supported. But also, there, I know it sounds very cliched, but there hasn't been a day where I haven't wanted to come to work. And it's because you're running your own show. You're empowered. You know, you want to, you're in charge of your own destiny. So your success or failure really rests upon your own shoulders. And I think that that is really unique. I think it just shows how important kind of culture and leadership and kind of, I suppose, lead, leading through, through values is. I think there's, you know, a massive shortage in the world of leaders that behave like that. Mm. I, I do agree with you. I think I see it inside a lot of other organizations where it's very hierarchical and it's very much you have your nine to five or you're inside your your role as a box and, and that is within which you play. I think for us, we're very outcome focused so and very performance based focused. So for us, that means whatever it takes to get the right outcome, we're willing to support. And it's often the most unconventional ideas uh, that are the most successful ideas, as we've seen over the years with many, many business leaders. And so within our business, there is full appetite and support for any idea that's going to get us to the, to the finish line faster and in the better, the better way. And I think we're very different because we play in an industry where we're the, pretty much the last Australian-owned and operated IT distributor of this scale. Uh, everyone else has either been acquired by an overseas player or is a multinational themselves. Uh, and so the, the nature of the beast within those companies is there's a lot of hierarchy and a lot of layers and a lot of complexity to the way that they do things. And we've always prided ourselves on our ability to be agile and nimble and quick decisions. We run a very, very flat management structure here where there's only one maximum two steps between any employee and a director. And things like that just mean decisions happen quickly. Mm. Uh, and we've got when you've got the right people inside this mix and inside this structure, they really do thrive. And, I, and I've seen that through my own team and I've definitely uh, seen that through the teams around me that have grown over the years. You've also got a philosophy of to get to success, you need to give trust. And I think that's, you know, I really want to dig into that concept of trust today. Why is it that, you know, projects are more successful when you give trust? I think it empowers people to think and it empowers them to deliver on the outcome. When you're working within rigid guidelines or rigid frameworks, 
your ability to think is constrained and your creativity naturally also becomes constrained within those sort of frameworks. And I think what we've found by running a 100% trust policy, so day one, you start with 100% trust and it's up to you what you do with it from there rather than the old model of you'll earn my trust. It's meant that we've empowered our people to deliver the outcomes that in ways that they think are the best. Uh, and it's also fostered that line of thinking around creativity. Uh, and I think what it's also done is set us apart from our competitors because we've fostered innovation within our own, our own company. And we've found ways to do things that no one else in our industry has been able to do. And I think that's what set us apart and put us on this really strong growth trajectory. Um, I think the, the other point to that is uh, the tenures of people. So by trusting people and empowering people, we've um, really managed to retain people for a long time. 14 years might sound like a lot for someone like myself, but we've got uh, one lady who's coming up to 30 years. We have a 20-year club as well of probably about 20 or 30 people that are over the 20-year mark as well. Wow, yeah. um, so we've got really long tenures within the business. And I think that speaks volumes within itself. Uh, and that's mm. at all levels of the organisation from, it doesn't sort of matter where you are, that same philosophy of trust and empowerment is applied whether you're you know, in the management roles or in a sales role or a technical role or a warehouse role. It doesn't matter where you are. And I think that's been the difference. So if you're going to start with trust and give it at the beginning and then only there's the only thing you can do is lose that trust, that's... That's a bold move. And do you have some sort of kind of due diligence process or something uh, that you go through both for, I suppose, internal employees, your hiring process, as well as, I suppose, external suppliers? I mean, do you have anything formal like that to protect yourself? Because if you're just giving that trust right up, right out the gate, what if you've given it to the wrong person? Uh, look, there's always an element of risk associated with running that type of model. And I think that really comes down to finding the right people and the right agencies. And what we've found over the years, we're very much a performance-based culture. You know, a lot of our remuneration and things is tied to the performance of our area of the company. And we find that the people that have an appetite to enter into an employment agreement under that performance-based structure tend to be self-starters. They tend to be the ones that are willing to push the boundaries and they're the ones that uh, they're hungry to push to that next level. So I think there's a level of responsibility within the management team and within the hiring teams across the business to make sure that we're getting the right people. And, and you're absolutely right that we don't always find the right people and there's processes and things to manage that across the business. From an agency perspective, we run a very similar model where it is that 100% trust. And of course, it hasn't always worked for us. Um, you know, over the, my 14 years with the company, I've seen several really great engagements and I've seen some less than great engagements as well. I think what the key for us is, is identifying it early when there is issues or whether they be performance-based issues or engagement-based issues and addressing them. Running our model of this 100% trust and 100% transparency means that by giving that out, we're hoping we get that in return from the, both the agencies and the people that we hire. And so I think um, from our perspective, we want to make sure that we're getting the outcome that we need from the resources, be they people or be they agencies that we engage with over the course of our doing business. Some of the less positive engagements, I think we've, we've mitigated them pretty quickly. Um, we, we tend to be very upfront, 
and very transparent on what we say. You know, we, we don't beat around the bush. We, we're very clear on our expectations and our rules of engagement with us. And I think that that also sets us apart. I think where a lot of companies might sort of massage around and, and not be as direct, we've found that by being direct and being clear and transparent, we've been able to cut through uh, and either repair the relationship and to be able to move forward or to part ways based on the fact that, you know, they weren't able to deliver on the outcome that we were after. So this podcast is meant to be about, you know, successes and failures, what you've learned along the way, but I can't help but kind of notice right now, listening to you speak that um, we could quite be speaking about recruitment and so on. So um, do you have vacancies open at the moment? Because it sounds really like a really, really amazing place to work. And if there's people listening that are looking for a new job, maybe they can uh, apply uh, for, for jobs. <laughs> are, you, are you full up at the moment or, or are, there, are there vacancies? <laughs> oh, we're absolutely hiring. We're always on the hunt for the right people. Uh, and I think that's the other thing within our business. We hire predominantly off word of mouth. So, so people being referred to us, uh, we have a very strong family connection within the business. My wife actually works for the business. We met through the business. And I'm sure my kids will probably work here at some point just to keep <laughs> running in the lineage. But no, we've got plenty of mothers and sons and daughters and cousins and uncles and things throughout the business. And I think that, again, just shows goes to show that strong culture. Um, mm. but also goes to show that we're, we're a good employer, where we are a great place to work. And that's even when I take my ticket data hat off, you know, and look objectively at it against what some of my peers and friends in other companies have. Uh, we're very, very fortunate to be in this company and to have all of the wonderful support platforms and um, mechanisms that we do. We're, we're very lucky to anyone listening. And if you're a good performer, we're always looking for the next rising talent. And not the type of performer that uh, some companies expect you to be. Um, I've heard that if you want to work at somewhere like Spotify, you actually have to make a YouTube video of yourself dancing or something like that. <laughs> and put that as the first step of the interview process. Oh, I don't think we'd be putting people through that. We live by the motto, if I wouldn't put myself through it, I don't think I'd want to put someone else through it. But um, <laughs> I don't think you'd catch me doing a YouTube dance for a job application just yet. Um, <laughs> but no, it all comes down to experience for us, really. It's where you've worked before and what you can bring to the table that's different to mm. what we already have within the organization. How are you going to help take us up to that next level? How are you going to challenge our processes and our, our existing people and the existing ways that we go to business, we go to market, sorry, um, to be a better company and to get better outcomes for the company? That's really what we're looking for. It was interesting. We onboarded um, a new vendor a couple of weeks ago, VMware, a global tech giant. And their, um, their managing director for Australia was out here and he made a comment that he loved how young our team was. Uh, and I think that that's really testament, again, to the business for investing in young people and giving them an opportunity and giving them a lot of rope, putting them in very senior positions and giving them an opportunity to show what they can do. Uh, and, and that's worked really well for us. So talking about giving a lot of rope, and you mentioned it already, uh, one of the big projects uh, or one of the biggest projects you've worked on is the uh, acquisition that you guys did. Now, I want to um, kind of dig into kind of the, like how that all panned out, what you learned from it. But before we go into that, maybe you can just start off with just giving an overview of what that acquisition was all about. Sure. So Dicadata started in 1978 and by 2014, so we were probably around that 35 year mark, maybe a little bit older by that point, um, we'd reached 
almost like a point of saturation within our existing market where we were really strong in a core set of vendors that we had. Um, and it was also just happened to be perfect timing that there was another distributor uh, in the market who at the time was double our size in terms of revenue and double our size in terms of people. Uh, but their profitability was nowhere near as strong as um, what Dickadata's was. They really had a strong complementary set of products that we didn't have. And while Dickadata was mainly an SMB and mid-market focused organisation at that point in time, this other company, Express Data, was very, very heavily focused in the enterprise and a little bit in retail as well, both segments that we uh, probably didn't have the capability to service at that point as well as we would have liked. And so it was a case of the little fish eating the big fish in the pond, and it was a a big process. We uh, settled the deal on uh, the 1st of April 2014, so not an April Fool's joke, as many had thought at the time. And it really was groundbreaking news for our industry then. And over the next, it was about five or six months through to around September, October, we did a lot of work, a lot of digital transformation work in the background, a lot of merging of systems. You know, we had two different ERPs, we had two different sites, we had two different cultures, groups of employees, the whole thing. Um, And of course, there was natural attrition of staff and things through that. Uh, You try and retain as many of the good performers as you can. And through that process, we really learnt a lot. I think uh, it was the first Mm. major acquisition that the company had ever been through, obviously for me personally, and a lot of the management team here as well hadn't been through a lot of acquisitions in their previous lives or previous job histories. And so really, it was a case of... um, go get the outcome. Our CEO, David Dicker, really empowered the management team with the outcome that he wanted and set us on a course to go and get that. And through that process, we really did do it the be- the way that we thought was best for the company, both today and into the future. So at the time, I was heavily involved uh, in the IT side, the IT and systems side, the operations side, and of course, the marketing side of the two companies and bringing that all together. We're very, very fortunate and very grateful that that merger is now referred to as one of the most successful in our industry's history. And that really comes down to the team, really comes down to the people that we had that got their hands dirty. You know, we were working seven days a week and we were doing it because we're passionate about the company. We're passionate about the technology and we're passionate about what we do. And I think that makes the real difference is that the people that we have in our business care about the business, but they care about their customers and they care about the outcomes. And I think that's really, really important. That's one of the biggest lessons I've seen over the years is that if you can get your people to buy in to your vision and where you're going and what you're trying to achieve, that sort of the sky's the limit. Nothing, nothing can stand in your way. And so over that time, you know, we, we've been fortunate enough to give a lot of those employees new career opportunities and advancements and things like that as well. And of course, that's helped with the stickiness. So yeah, it was a, a big process and one that took a, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but ones that we look back on very, very fondly as not only a strong bonding experience for the team, but one that was a very successful outcome for the company and for the industry. But just as, as a side question, something that you said there, you know, things work best when the employees buy into the vision. Um, And I think what many organizations, the problem that they have is the CEO and maybe the leadership team have the vision, but it's not being communicated 
or may, maybe not, I'm, I'm not even sure what, I don't want to plant words into your mouth, um, but the rest of the company don't know what, what it is. What is the formula at Dicadata to make sure that the entire company gets excited around that vision and knows what it is? There's two steps to it, I think. One of them is having it clearly defined. So very, not this convoluted goal that no one can really decipher and understand, having it very clearly defined and simple to understand. But the second thing is helping each employee to understand their role in delivering that vision and then empowering them to go and do it. And I know I keep coming back to empowering and outcomes, but for us, that's really what it was. We knew the end state that we wanted. We knew where we wanted to be and where we wanted to grow this business to and how we needed to get to a certain point. Then it was up to everyone to pull their weight uh, and to help deliver the outcome that we wanted. And really, I think that's where the innovation comes in because we don't have layers and layers of management and we don't have excess people where there's overflow you know we're a very lean organization so really you know if it was a marketing issue or a systems issue whatever it was the buck kind of stopped with me at that time and so I knew that that was my role and I had to own that and I had to deliver on what on my piece so that the, the other wheels in the machine could continue to turn and I think that those two factors really make the difference because you're right a lot of companies have a big vision but nobody knows how to decipher that or what role they're playing in it and how they can help the organization to be successful. And I think that sense of ownership and that sense of inclusion and being and delivering for an organization is really what gets people motivated. And as I said, they buy in to the vision. Yeah. They buy into the outcome. Okay, so thanks for that. I, I had to ask when you, when, when you said that. So going sure. back to the acquisition, I mean, what are the things you would, that you learned from that that you would do again coming out of that, looking back retrospectively and you think, well, I will definitely do this thing again if I were to go and manage another acquisition? That's actually a really good question. Um, we learned a lot more about the trust factor throughout the, um, throughout the acquisition. And I think one thing that we did well, but probably could have done a little bit better at the time was engaging more with the staff on the other side to extract their knowledge and their expertise, because the other company definitely brings a lot of a lot to the table. Um, in our situation, it was difficult because we were the smaller company swallowing a bigger company. Um, and so, of course, they were very embedded in their systems and their processes and things like that. But I think that for next time, if we were to carry some learnings forward in there. I think uh, the communication strategies that we used, they were really strong. So keeping in touch with our customers, staying close to our customers and making sure that our customers felt like they were coming along the journey with us. Um, and the, the beautiful thing by the end of that as well was a lot of the customers said to us, we didn't realize you'd actually integrated the two companies. And that's the golden outcome. You, you want to have it all done and finished. And then the customer's going, oh, is that that's done, is it? So the other thing I think looking back at it as well is the speed of development. I think the bigger you become as a company, naturally a lot more processes and overheads and things come in that slow down progression. And I think it's remaining focused on that nimble and agile aspect and remaining focused on your ability to move forward and to execute and to get things done within a certain time frame. You know, many projects never get off the ground because some, no one will make a call to just make it happen. And so we're really much of the mentality that 
if we can pull the trigger and we can learn from it and if there's a small failure we can revert back and we'll fix it and we'll keep moving forwards we're, we're not the types that'll sit there and build up months and months of process and red tape before we'll pull the trigger on something so i think just to continually push yourself and to continually move forward uh was was a really good learning through that and I want to ask the opposite question now. What went wrong? What 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 are the failures in it that you wouldn't want to do again? There weren't too many, um, to be honest. There, I think, again, we probably like coming down to the uh, communication internally. I think we probably could have done a little bit of a better job internally with the company that we bought, communicating with their staff and making them aware of the steps and of what we're doing. We definitely had milestone meetings and we definitely, they saw the progress of what was happening, but I think we could have been closer to them and, and more inclusive throughout the journey. Not that we weren't, but I think that that's one learning we could take away now looking back at it. And if we were to go down the path of an acquisition again, I think that's something that we'd take forward into that. Yep. Okay. So I want to get back into yourself a little bit. Now, your background is a little bit similar to mine. You studied IT at that amazing uh, university with that amazing Australian, real Australian name. I can't even say it, I don't think. Wollongong or something like that. Is that oh, right? Oh, very good. University <laughs> of Wollongong. Yes, that's correct. So I did a, did a Bachelor of IT there. Initially had started out in sort of like a double major thing and that amalgamated in the end into a single major. And yeah, I spent four years, three, four years studying there. Fantastic uni, very, very fond memories, uh, fond memories of that. And that definitely taught me that I don't want to code for a living. I wanted to be on the <laughs> business side of IT. I have a very strong appreciation for coding and can code myself, but I am not the guy that's going to sift through and find the comma that's in the wrong spot at two in the morning. I just don't have the, the headspace for that one. <laughs> sure. Okay. That was exactly like me. <laughs> I studied IT and I was like, if I have to see another if statement, I'm going to go crazy. Um, yes. So how was that progression for you? Like you in marketing now, like how, how did that progression go from kind of a very technical IT through to marketing? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story again. So when I was coming out of uni, or actually, so yeah, as I graduated and I was applying for different roles and things like that, I got all my job offers and I came to my boss here at Dikadata at the time and he said, show me your offers. And um, he kind of said to me, he said, look, I've got two ways that you can go. He said, I actually think you'd be really good in marketing and I need someone to start doing marketing inside the company. Uh, at the time, we were about 20 people and about 100 million a year in terms of revenue. And for context for your listeners, we're about 550 people now and 2 billion a year in revenue. And so at the time, we didn't have marketing. So he sort of said, that's where I think you'll fit really, really well. And I think that you've got a good career and a good future there. And the other option that he gave me was product management, which I did seriously consider for a little while. But marketing, there was something about it that just seemed like the right fit for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I say, the rest is history. Over that time, I've had the privilege of not just doing marketing, but also being heavily involved in our business strategy, our vendor acquisition processes, also our growth processes, our, our just general acquisition processes. And so, yeah, I think marketing within our company holds many, many more hats than what it would in, in a traditional company. So I think that's what's kept me engaged. That's what's kept me here and kept me focused. And I think what's gotten me to the point now is something actually my father, a piece of advice my father gave me when I was very, very young, which was he didn't care what I wanted to do. He just said, whatever you choose to do, be the best at it. 
Mm. Um, and so, you know, whether you said you want to be the garbage collector, be the best garbage collector there ever was. You want to be a postman, be the best postman there ever was. Uh, it didn't matter to him. And so having that support from the family and things, but also that mentality of just be the best you can in whatever field you choose has always driven me, I think, to succeed in whichever area I ended up in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with your type of profile, so you've studied IT, so you clearly know technology, you've progressed to the business side, Decadata itself helps organizations being a technology business itself it's driving a lot of digital transformation or empowering a lot of of digital transformation so with that as your profile i mean you must have some ideas some thoughts on on trends upcoming trends what does what does the future look like where's digital transformation heading what are one or two of those key trends that are that we can expect in the next kind of i suppose we can't say too far out i suppose two two to five years max i mean i don't even know if we can talk that far out i know it's uh what an interesting world we live in hey so i think it was such an adela the ceo of microsoft that said we underwent two years of digital transformation in two months when the pandemic hit the world. What's ahead of us? I mean, we're in a very unique position as a business. You're right. We deal with about 6,000 IT resellers in Australia and about another 2,000 in New Zealand each year. And what we're seeing is security. That's the biggest trend and the biggest thing that's coming. You know, when the pandemic hit, a lot of organisations shifted to remote working very, very quickly. And, you know, your standard operating environment went out the window. It was get me any laptop you can with whatever specs, whatever systems, just make it work and get my people online. And that worked and we, we're through that now. We're out the other side. But a lot of organisations are now going back and securing those environments because whilst they might have had their internal security posture sorted, they definitely didn't have their external security posture sorted for, um, for, the, for the mass remote working. So there's a huge opportunity there for the IT reseller community, but also for any business, you know, security has got to be number one on your radar at the moment. If it's not in your board conversations every quarter, there's something wrong because it's one of the biggest things that can bring your business undone and it can happen overnight with a 17-year-old just happens to find that backdoor or that hole in the system. So security is key for digital transformation at the moment. Uh, and the other thing that we're seeing is the digital collaboration changing. I mean, we're having this meeting over um, a video collaboration platform now, and you know, we would have done that pre-pandemic. That would have been in place. But what's changing is the expectation amongst employees. So employees now expect every meeting to have a physical and a virtual presence. And gone are the days of throw your mobile phone on the middle of the meeting room table, and I hope you can hear me. That's that's gone now. It's table states that every meeting room inside every office has a proper video collaboration system so that whether you're off-site or on-site, you've got the same experience as your, your contributors around you. And I think that's a real shift for businesses now. I mean, we're, we've been fortunate <clears throat> at Decadata as a business, we've been sort of operating like that for a while, but we're really seeing the uptake of you know, commercial displays for the rooms. We're seeing uptake of the microphones and the video cameras. And I think, you know, March 2020, no one wanted to turn their camera on. And here we are in 2021. And if you don't have your camera on, it's sort of like, what's wrong? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So you started off by speaking about Microsoft there. And I know that Microsoft are one of those companies that you look up to. And then 
you know, you spoke about one of the one of the biggest trends is is around security, and a lot of what's going on in the world with some of these large organizations is security breaches, is what data are they collecting about us, and so on. Yeah. So I find I find it very interesting that you look up to Microsoft. You speak about you know the benefits of having a very agile, small technology organization that can move fast. There's a trend on security happening. So I want to dig in a little bit more about why for you is Microsoft that kind of idolized organization when you know some of the things that you say seem a little bit different to the way that they approach things. Sure. I think I was enthralled by Microsoft as a kid growing up. Um, you know, when my dad brought home our first desktop computer running Windows 3.1, I think it was, and you're probably dating my age now uh, at that point. <laughs> but um, I was amazed by what they were able to do with technology. And I think that's always been the sticking point for me. I've always been amazed by how they've been able to, their mission. So, you know, to put a computer in every home. You know, that was such a bold statement back then. And even where they are now trying to empower every person on the planet, I think they're doing Mm. a fantastic job. But I think they're a good corporate citizen. They're someone that every company should look up to in what they do. You know, they're investing billions into the environment, into the sustainability factors. Um, They're trialing new technologies. I I follow closely uh, one of their projects where they've got a data center that they've dropped into the ocean in a specialized container to try cooling under using basically the the forces of of the ocean to cool the servers and the technology. Companies like that that are pushing the boundaries, I think that's why there's that idolization factor there. Mm -hmm. Um, You're right that security and the cloud and things like that, there's a lot of data breaches happening. And and I think that comes back to the organizations. I don't think like the actual end user companies like Dicadata um, or, or yours. And I think it's up to those organizations and their IT partners to make sure that they've got the correct security postures in place. Because you're right. The cloud can be one of those places where data can leak, but there's so many solutions out there to protect them and to make sure that they're set up and they're configured correctly. It's about making sure that all of the pieces of the puzzle are put together correctly. And that's why our ecosystem exists. Uh, And that's been really one of the strong points for Dicadata as a business. We've always invested heavily in our technical capabilities and in our technical resources we work hand in hand with those partners to really scope and to build the solutions and making sure they're best practice and that they're absolutely watertight. Because like we said, security is on the mind of every single board member in the country and around the world, and no one wants to be the next notifiable data breach. And in following Microsoft all this time, you know, when it comes to innovation, do you have any insights into how an organization that size is still managing to be innovative? Is it through acquisitions? Is it through micro teams? Is there any uh, kind of insights that you can share of how they're managing to do such cool stuff still? Yeah, I think one of the big benefits of Microsoft is they have this huge partner network around the world. So our customers, Dicadata's customers, and we're also a partner of Microsoft but they listen to that partner network. Um, So I can give you an example. Dicadata sits on their early adopter program for their cloud subscription billing service. And what that means is we're in direct contact with the engineers in Redmond writing the platforms and writing the software. And we're talking to our customers and we're understanding their bugbears and their pain points and we're helping Microsoft solve them. So I think it's their ability 
to listen all the way down to the smaller organizations around the world and make sure that they're delivering the services and the things that they need to be able to continue to scale their business. You know, it's just coincidental timing that Microsoft's um, announcing things today even around how they're going to help their partner ecosystem tap into the AI opportunity, which is a trillion-dollar market that's kind of sitting there and, and only a niche number of companies actually know how to leverage that at the moment. And I think that's part of the Microsoft story is how do they democratize that technology and make it accessible to more organizations. And it really does stick true to their mission around empowering every person on the planet to achieve more through the use of technology. I think that's it. Don't hold me to it. Um, (laughs) But the way in which they're living that mission really is something quite admirable and, and something that I see is the way that they're staying in touch and staying close with their partner community, but also driving outcomes for their partner community. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Right. So I want to wrap up with my final question, which uh, is always the same question. Maybe I phrase it differently as well each time. But if, if, if you were to look back now on these 14 years and uh, you had to give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that uh, piece of advice be? Oh, that's a very good question. I would say don't hold back. So push the boundaries sooner and, and be bold with your decisions and be bold with your, with, with your ambitions and the things that you want to do with the business. I've been fortunate enough to trial and be successful through a number of different initiatives over the years. And some of those have just been purely through my direct managers or David, our CEO, pushing me to do these things. And I think um, young me, if I went back and said one piece of advice would be bold, be brave and uh, push those boundaries harder than what you did at the time. So I I thought that you were going to say that you would still go and uh, take uh, David's lunch every day and talk about cars. Oh, I'd still do that. I still do do that when he's in the country. (laughs) Yeah, we often find ourselves getting off track from the business into cars and, um, you know, the hours all slip by. And I I count David as a friend and, um, yeah, very, very fortunate to have him as a mentor uh, in the business and, and as a friend as well. Well, we've been very fortunate to have you with us today. Thanks so much, uh, Ben, for joining us on Digital Surfing. For all the audience listening, don't forget to share this podcast, like this podcast, follow this podcast so we can see it grow. But yeah, uh, Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Darren, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, to all of your listeners, thank you. Thank you.